You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, the Gospel reading gives us the account of this Sabbath meal with Jesus and the Pharisees. They had invited Him to be the honored guest, but this was a matter of their hypocrisy. They were really inviting Him so that they could watch Him or so that they could test Him. They could could catch Him breaking uh, the law, violating the Sabbath. So Jesus obliges them. (laughs) They want Sabbath troubles, and Jesus will give it to them. There is a man with palsy, and he's having all sorts of trouble, and he comes and stands before Jesus, and Jesus, looking at this man, says to the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, or is it not? And they refuse to answer. So Jesus takes the man and heals them and sends him home and turns to the Pharisees and says to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that falls down to a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could say nothing. Now, this is a marvelous teaching from your Jesus. That need determines the law. Our neighbor's need determines what our good works are. And perhaps more importantly, that the law of the Sabbath day cannot be used against good works and serving your neighbor. The law was given precisely for this purpose. And then Jesus looks at them, all of those Pharisees, gathered at the feast, and he tells them a parable. Now, this is a stunning parable because really it's an instruction on manners. The text reads like this. Now, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. This is, at first glance, a simple lesson on table manners. When you're invited to the feast, or to someone's house, don't sit at the head of the table. If you do, the person who's more important than you, and there's always someone more important than you, they come in, and now the host has to say, you're in the wrong place. Go sit there in the corner. (laughs) Instead, when you go to a place to eat, when you're invited to a feast, go sit in the corner. And if the host wants you to sit in a better spot, then you get the glory of being exalted. And if he doesn't want you to sit in a better spot, then nobody notices. (laughs) See? Now, the amazing thing about this text is it, it really does seem like it could be in a book of customs and manners. But when Jesus tells this parable to the Pharisees, it is an all out attack on them, on everything they thought and they did. And for us, too. Because remember, all of us have this little Pharisee living inside of us. The sinful flesh, which knows nothing of the gospel and is always busy with the law, using it to exalt ourselves to God and against our neighbor. 
The Pharisees, you see, were experts at twisting the law and using the law for their own benefit. They had taken the law, which demands faith towards God and love towards their neighbor, and they had used the same law to exalt themselves to the place with God and to put their neighbor down. I mean, think about this. God's law, which accuses us before him, And shows us how utterly sinful we are. How we deserve His wrath. How we would come before Him humbly and repentant. Is taken by the Pharisees and used to show how good they are. And how how uh, what good standing they should have with the Lord. How they are perfect and righteous. How they deserve to sit next to God in heaven. And that same law, which is supposed to put us in a humble position towards our neighbor so that we come alongside of our neighbor and we serve them and we help them and we give them gifts, the Pharisees take and they use it against their neighbor to beat their neighbor down to show how bad their neighbor is compared to them and their overflowing holiness. They had flipped the law on its head. We talk, and this is catechism stuff, we remember the three uses of the law, the curb, the mirror, And the guide, this is how we are to use the law rightly. The law, remember, as a curb, keeps society in order. This is the law that keeps us from hurting and and harming one another. It, It teaches us to honor marriage, to protect our family and our neighbor's stuff, the reputation of our neighbor. This is the curb of the law. And the curb of the law is why we have a government. It's why we have a military. It's why we have police and courts and judges and jails And stop signs. It's even why we have curbs on the road. (laughs) Then there's the second use of the law, which is of a mirror. Now, the second use of the law is the chief use. The law shows us our sin. It accuses us. This is the theological use of the law, which condemns us. It shows us the sins that we commit, and it shows us the good works that we neglect. And and even more profoundly than that, the law as a mirror teaches us that sin clings to our sinful flesh. In fact, the second use of the law teaches us something that we cannot know by reason or feel in our own experience, that sin has corrupted us all the way down to the core. And that of all the wrong things that we do and all the wrong things that we say and all of the wrong things that we think are only symptoms of an even deeper problem that I am a poor, miserable sinner. And this second use of God's law tells me not only that I'm a sinner, but it tells me that I deserve God's wrath. I mean, it might be true that we know that we are sinners... But normally the confession of sins is something like this. And tell me if this sounds familiar. I know I've made mistakes. I know I'm not perfect, but nobody's perfect. I mean, we might know that we're bad, but we don't know how bad we are, that we are bad enough to deserve God's wrath and hell. And here, God's law, second use, comes in like a hammer and demolishes us. It shows us how repulsive and offensive we are to the holiness of God. How how the pain and shame and darkness of Jesus on the cross, His being forsaken by God and being smitten by God, that the things that Jesus suffered on the cross, that this is truly what we deserve. Now, uh, when the law is doing this work, uh, the mirror work of showing us our sin, we might be tempted to think that the law itself is the problem or that the law is bad. That is not the case. In fact, here the law is supremely good. 
Do you know those... Here's the picture of that. Do you know those super good mirrors that you can get at the store that have the light that goes around them and they magnify things? You've seen those? I accidentally looked in one of those once. (laughs) It was a mistake. (laughs) Every blemish, every spot, every wrinkle magnified on the big screen. (laughs) It makes mountains out of molehills and noses. <laughs> it reminds us that something should not be in high definition. This is, this is how the law is, the second use. It's so perfect, so pure, so clean, that it shows us ourselves. We might think that we're doing all right when we compare ourselves to one another. But when we compare ourselves to the glory of God, to His law and His perfect will, then we are undone. And this is how Jesus wants us. Undone. That we would put aside our trust in ourselves and make room for His promises. And then there is the third use of the law, which is a guidebook or a map. This is where the law gives shape to our Christian love and service to the neighbor. While the first use of the law tells us that we don't hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, the third use puts us next to our neighbor to love them and to serve them and to lay down our lives for them, to forgive them and to pray for them and to bless them. This is how Christians live. You see, because we are forgiven by Jesus, we are self-set free from the need to justify ourselves. We have no need to justify our existence to ourselves, to God, to our neighbor, to anyone else. It's already done. You are justified. You are declared righteous by the righteous one, by the Son of God, who sits at the right hand of the Father with the spoils of his victorious death and resurrection with him. And this means, dear saints, that you... Now listen, you have nothing to prove. Think of that. God loves you. Unconditionally. Well, the condition has already been fulfilled. The death of Jesus. He loves you. And this gives you the freedom to serve and the courage to risk a good work in service to your neighbor. To suffer for them. To die for them. For the neighbors that God has given you. The picture of this that I always have in my mind, I don't know if this is a good one or not, but it's the picture of a pill bug. Do you remember that? Or roly-polies, some people call it. You know the roly-polies? And you grab a roly-poly and it rolls up and it curls into this ball. And when we were kids, we would love that because we'd grab them and we'd throw them at each other. But if you would hold your hand still enough for long enough, then that roly-poly would uncurl. And normally on its back, you know, and you flip it over and it start to walk around. But it was only when it felt secure and safe that it would unfold. This is the picture that I have of the law anyways, of how the gospel affects our love for one another. If we don't have the gospel, if we don't know the love of God, then everything is curved in on itself. We have to defend ourselves, protect ourselves, love ourselves, take care of ourselves. After all, if we don't do it, who will? But when the Lord comes to us and says, I love you, now we are safe and we can uncurl and begin to go and love our neighbor to take care of them, you see? And this is why suffering and sacrifice and humility are the mark of the Christian's love for their neighbor. So God's law, used rightly, a curb, a mirror, and a guide. But the Pharisees had different uses for God's law. 
or we can understand it better if we understand them as misuses of the law. And we can call these the pedestal use of the law and the big foam finger use of the law. The pedestal use of the law is used to exalt them above the crowd where we exalt, we, we prop ourselves up on our own good works so that we stand above everyone else looking down on them and we are lifted up closer to God. The Pharisees were experts at this, the pedestal use. And they were also experts at the big foam fim, finger use. You know these fingers that I'm talking about. The number one that people have at basketball games, things like this. Imagine having one of these that you use to point to other people and their sins. <laughs> You're a sinner. You're unclean and you're unholy. That's the Pharisees. And make no mistake, when, when the Pharisees had Jesus to supper this day, they were sitting on their foam fingers, waiting for Jesus to sin so they could pull them out and point to Jesus. This pedestal use of the law and the foam finger misuse of the law takes again the law and it turns everything upside down. Instead of humbling us, we become proud. Instead of serving our neighbor, we become our neighbor's accuser and our neighbor's judge. So it was with the Pharisees. When they would come to a feast, they would take the best seat. I mean, who else would want to sit there? (laughs) Instead of having humble faith towards God and humble love towards the neighbor, they had exalted themselves next to God and put down their neighbor. And this Pharisee lives in us. It lives in you. Repent. Jesus is found in humility. Your Jesus took the lowest and humblest seat he could find, his shameful death on the cross, and his tomb cut out of rock. He, says St. Paul, humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross, so that the Lord would exalt him. Come up here, said the Father to the Son, as he lifted him out of the grave and set him down at his right hand, as he brought him from death to life, from suffering to joy, and from humility to glory. Jesus finds you in humility. He's looking for you in the lowest seat, in the seat that's marked on the back, sinner. And that's where he finds you. And he says to you, friend, come up higher. To you, imagine this, to you and I, to sinners, Jesus says, friend, come up higher. And if you can imagine it, this call, this invitation extended to you will go into the resurrection and into the life where Jesus has a seat for you, not in the corner of heaven, but right there next to Him. Sinner. Friend. Come up higher. Dear saints, instead of a pedestal, we have a cross. And instead of a foam finger, we have the promises of God. 
and Jesus himself. And we will rejoice in these, world without end. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.